Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, Today, as Keith mentioned in our welcome, we're going to be starting a new message series that we're calling Upside Down Kingdom. Now, we've actually been journeying together as a church family through the Gospel of Luke since December, and yet we've been looking at various stages in that story, and this morning marks a new stage. We're opening up a new part of that story as Jesus is nearing, in many ways, the heart of his message of what it means to be his followers, what it means to be his disciples, he he keeps making it clear that he's not really interested in just changing a couple of things about the ways of our world, but he really wants to change everything. He wants to turn the world upside down. He wants the, the last to be first. He wants the poor to be rich. He wants those who've been left out to be invited in. This is what life in his kingdom is like. He says, and because of that, because of our own experiences in the world and the ways of the world, life in Jesus' kingdom can feel more than just a little bit confusing to us. It can feel more than just a little bit different than what we've experienced in every other place and in every other kingdom. And yet Jesus keeps claiming clearly and directly that when it comes to the way we treat one another, when it comes to the ways that we forget the least of these, he wants us to have the eyes of our hearts opened up again to see what matters most. And so while up is down and down is up and it can be unsettling and challenging for us, I promise you, when we're able to see things from the perspective that Jesus wants to show us life from, when we're able to start moving in the direction that Jesus wants to show us really brings us real life, we find that it is always worth it. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning as your people, and we confess that that our world just isn't the way that we know you want it to be. And we confess that in a lot of ways we have, we've had the imagination of our hearts shaped by the ways of the world, and it can be difficult for us to see any other way to move through the world. And it can be easy for us to try to turn your kingdom into a kingdom that not only do we understand, but a kingdom that in many ways we get to set the agenda for. And so this morning, God, we pray that you would help us to confess again that this kingdom belongs to you and you alone. And that we want to be a part of what you're doing, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even When it's challenging to us, God, we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And so we pray that you would help us find that courage this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen. So I have a confession to make. Whenever anybody in my life tells me to stop worrying so much, I am at the same moment inspired by what they're saying and irritated at them for having said it. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this. Uh, if you know me well at all, you know that I'm a world champion worrier. And I'm not exaggerating. There are many times I worry about the fact that I might not be worrying enough about something. Right? As Charles Schultz, the, the cartoonist of Charlie Brown and Snoopy said, my anxieties have anxieties. Right? So I know I'm not alone in this. 
Uh, I, I kind of move through my day thinking about, okay, what is it that, that, that might happen, that, that might go wrong, that I'm going to have to deal with, and I try to prepare myself for it. And, and a lot of times I'll get through the day, and I don't exactly have clear, you know, concrete worries or anxieties that I have given voice to, but, but if I get in bed at night and I'm trying to fall asleep, that's when all of those worries that have kind of been just hanging around in my heart suddenly are very specific. Right? And it, it takes me a long time to go to sleep because I'm lying awake worrying. Right? Did, I, did I lock the doors? Did I turn off the lights? Did I send that one email? Did I make that phone call? Did I, did I tell the girls how much I love and care about them today? Or were we so busy that I forgot to, to make them feel special? Did, did that conversation that I had with that one person, it didn't go quite the way I wanted it to go. And I wish I had said this. I need to find a way to say that tomorrow. And, and what about my sermon? Have, have I made enough progress at this point in the week? Or do I need to figure out time tomorrow that I've got to carve out to do that? And what if the whole topic's wrong and, and maybe I need to get up and look at something else? And then, and, and what's this headache that I have and how long has it been there? And am I coming down with something? And that's just the first two minutes of laying down at night. Glenn can't even take it. Right? He can't take it. That's my nightly ritual. You should, you should be apologizing to Lauren. So... Right, because it's, it's hard enough to live like this, right? It's another thing to have to live around somebody who's living like that, right? We, we know what it's like to worry most of us. Now, you may not worry to the same degree or to the same frequency that I do, but all of us have worries. And, and I've thought a lot about this, I'm sure, surprise, surprise, right? That's shocking. I think the reason that I'm lying awake at night having all those rapid-fire worries is I've kind of come to this place where I've convinced myself somewhere in my mind that if I can think my way through every possible situation and outcome, well, then I'll be better equipped for whatever happens no matter what happens. Right? If I can think through the worst-case scenarios, then, then when they happen, not if, but when, right, I'll, I'll be ready. But mostly... What actually happens, if I'm being really honest as I look back over the course of my life, is a lot of the things that I had convinced myself were probably going to take place didn't actually take place. It felt like they did because I imagined it happening so often, but really I just end up living mostly on the stressed edge of life. Right Where nothing's quite the way it should be and something worse could be happening right around the corner and and yet, even though I know from experience that thinking like this doesn't actually change what it's like to deal with whatever it is that comes my way, I keep trying to control my future by thinking in this way. So when someone tells me to stop worrying, that's why at first, especially if they mean it and they're not just annoyed, right? if they really mean, Jared, you need to stop worrying so much, at first, I, I try to imagine what that version of life would be like, right? Because so often in my life, I have difficulty being fully present in this moment, right? Because I'm too busy running back to the past, trying to rewrite the things that, that happened that I wish had happened better, and I'm racing to the future, trying to write the, the version of that future that I desperately need to have. But just being in the present moment and being able to catch my breath, Right? And, and to be comfortable in my own skin. That sounds 
not just good, it sounds incredible. It sounds like the life that I would say I've always wanted. A life where I'm not trying to to carry this burden, to, to bear this burden that throughout my life I have never successfully been able to handle on my own. I would love to be able to leave that behind and to just relax, to just be present. And yet the very moment I try to imagine just how different that life would be from my normal everyday experience, I get irritated because I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to turn off all of those anxious thoughts. I want to, but I don't know how to. Now here's the thing, if Jesus is the one who comes to me and says, Jared, you need to stop worrying so much, that changes things. In fact, it changes everything because Jesus never just tells me to try to do something and then doesn't show me what that's going to look like like in real life. He, He doesn't say just do this without trying to model for me what that would actually mean. And so if Jesus is the one who comes and says to us, stop worrying, I don't think we have the the option of just listening to it quickly and saying, yeah, well, I don't know how to do that, Jesus, so I'm just going to focus on something else you said. Jesus says this not to add to our concerns and our fears and our anxieties, but because he knows that so many times in our life, our fears and our anxieties have far too much power over us. And he doesn't want us to live that way. And in the upside-down kingdom of God, you don't have to be afraid. Open your Bible up to Luke chapter 12. We'll start reading together in verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, Why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are many words from this passage that we, that we know. 
And the reason is, throughout the, the years, God's people have needed to hear these words from Jesus because, as you and I know, there are real reasons for us to worry. Not all fears about the future are foolish. Even relaxed people who, who might be hardwired to be more laid back or optimistic will admit, right, that everybody cares about food, whether or not they're going to have enough to eat. Everybody worries about clothing and shelter. Everybody has these concerns. And, and we think about having enough, not just today, but Tomorrow and the day after that, the future really is unknown. We know that from experience. It really is unpredictable. And no amount of hard work or willpower or, or planning can ultimately ever change just how unpredictable the future is going to be. And that means that in very real ways, the future can frighten us if we let it. And those of us who struggle significantly with worry know exactly what it means to make the choice to allow that fear to start to run your life. At least I do. And I, I find it important as we read the passage and as we hear it to think about the reality that Jesus isn't trying to dodge the, the whole issue of worry and how difficult it can be by, by focusing on things that are small, that, that maybe a lot of us could say, okay, yeah, I can just not worry about that. I'll just not think about that. He he talks about food and shelter and clothing. Those are the things that all of us would agree are important. Don't let the kind of the sentimental and comfortable imagery of birds and wildflowers and grass distract you. He picks those precisely because at times they can be beautiful, but they're all fleeting and fragile. Right? They're always at risk. Birds die. Flowers wither. Grass, he says, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Bad things have happened. Bad things do happen. Bad things will happen. He's not trying to say there's nothing to be afraid of. He's saying even though there are things that you can be afraid of, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, again, I, I've heard this, this passage many times in my life, and every time I get to that place of realizing that Jesus isn't, isn't trying to explain away the reasons for my worry, he's recognizing the reasons and saying, I don't want you to give that kind of space in your heart and your life to this. That's where I tend to think, you know what? You just don't relate to me then. You don't understand how difficult this is for me then. I'll focus on something else when it comes to life in the kingdom. And yet I am convinced that there's a reason that it's in this passage here in Luke and, and also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew that when Jesus is talking about worry, he says the opposite of worry is life in the kingdom. It is in many ways the beginning place of what it means to believe that our lives are held together not by what we're able to do now or in the future, but what God has already done for us, is doing for us, and will continue to do for us, not because we deserve it, but simply because God, in his sovereignty, has decided to unconditionally love us with a love that is more powerful than anything else in all of creation. 
seek the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. I I feel like what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, the basic core of, of this passage is this, that what might happen to us doesn't matter nearly as much as God's promise to be right there with us when it happens. Right, That the key to finding a sense of peace in your heart is building a sense of trust in your God. That no matter what might happen. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is clear about this. Bad things have happened and do happen and will happen. God has promised to be right there with us. And that is always enough, Jesus says. Every step of the way, God is with us. Every, everything that we have to face, these unexpected challenges that come crashing into us, these unpredictable curveballs that get thrown at us, things that, that we perhaps feel very clearly that we did nothing to deserve, n- nothing to cause, and yet we have to face them and deal with them anyway. Jesus says, in spite of all of this, You need to believe, you need to build the foundation of your life on the conviction that no matter what you go through, you're never going through that alone. And it makes all the difference. Now, in my experience, developing that that kind of trust in God is something that takes time and trial and then more time. Right? It takes actual experience of going through difficulties and challenges and finding that God time and again steps in to help carry us through, through situations and, and things that we would never be able to get through on our own. And, and yet the, the difficulty in all that is we have very, when it comes to our, our ability to hold on to those, those memories, I feel like we, we, all of us, in some way or another, we struggle with short-term memory loss when it comes to our spiritual lives. Right? That we, we just, in, in one moment we're thankful, and the next moment we don't remember what's happened. We don't remember that the reason we were able to get here, to get to this place, is because God was with us and God carried us. And so... Jesus knows, and Paul talks about this in, in his letters, that we have, to, we have to make the effort, we have to do the work to keep track of all the ways that God has been there for us before, that God has been faithful to us. Because it changes then that the faithful past in our lives changes how we're able to live in the present and in the future. But see, it's actually more than just keeping track of all those moments. It's learning those chapters of your life story by heart. Because those moments of God's past faithfulness, they need to be at the top of our anxious minds, not the last thing we think about when we get nervous. We have to know those chapters of our life stories by heart. They have to be the the touchstones of of our spiritual memories so that when we find ourselves surrounded and we find ourselves struggling with our faith that we're able to access not just other people's words or other people's thoughts or other people's stories, but our own. While the words faith and trust are related, they aren't the same exact thing. You know, I I feel like the way we toss around the word faith in our culture, faith is believing that there is a God. But trust, 
is believing that not only is there a God, but that God is for us. And those are different things, at least for me. Trust is, is faith in a loving relationship with a higher power. It's not just faith that there is a higher power. The strength of that kind of relational trust in God and God's unconditional love for us, it has to be combined with our faith, not just in the existence of God, but in the power of God. And it's taken together, th- th- this conviction that, that we are caught up in a relationship with God that defines us, a relationship with God that gives us our identity, a relationship with God that shapes who we are and who we can be. It's that conviction that I'm convinced Jesus' sense of the kingdom is built on. And brothers and sisters, I think the truth is that so many of us have the basic building blocks of faith. And I, I believe that that is the starting place. I believe that that's an incredible gift from God for us to have the basic building blocks of faith. But we need more than just the basic building blocks of faith. We need to develop that faith into an active trust that is strong enough to carry us through moments when we're so afraid and we're so anxious and we're so nervous that we convince ourselves we're all on our own and we've got to fix this on our own, we've got to figure it out on our own, and we've got to overcome all these things that we're worried about on our own. That is not what God wants for us. And here's what Jesus knows about us, right? When our trust in God just isn't strong enough, we end up trying to to take spiritual shortcuts to quiet our anxious souls. Right? We seek out temporary fixes. We, we reach out for anything that looks like it might do the trick. And, and of all the inferior ways that we try to silence our fears about the future, the most popular thing that most of us reach for is money. Right? Jesus knows this. It's why he talks about it so often in his ministry and specifically in these words that, that surround this concern of worry. So, so many of us assure ourselves that if we ever manage to have enough money socked away somewhere, that then we'll be secure no matter what happens next. And if our future is secure, then we can finally stop worrying in the present. That's why Jesus says that one of the very best ways for us to prove that we have real trust and God for the future is to choose risky financial generosity, right? He, he goes as far as to say that we should sell any possessions that we have that we don't actually need so that we can take better care of the poor. Jesus challenges each one of us. Look, I'm not interested, Jesus says, in you talking like you trust God to be the one who takes care of you in the future. I want you to actively do something that proves that you trust that God is going to continue to take care of you in the future. So take what you have that you don't absolutely need and and take care of other people with it. Do something that declares your conviction that your future is not dependent on your ability to provide for yourself on your own. Your future is dependent on the goodness and the grace of God. Prove it by how you live, not by how you talk. You know, it, I think it's so difficult for us because our world assures us over and over again 
that if we really want to have confidence about our future, the best way to have that is through money. And yet we know that money is not able to actually give us the kind of future we really want more than anything else. Because if you're anything like me, the kind of future you want more than anything else is a future where everything goes exactly the way you want it to go. But you can't buy that future. It's not for sale. I mean, money can't stop a car wreck from happening. Money can't save your marriage from falling apart. Money can't ensure that your children turn into the exact versions of grown-up adults that you dream that they're going to be. Money can't keep you safe from terminal illnesses. Money can't rescue you from all of the most frightening things that you're ever going to have to face. We know that. We just forget it, I think, the moment we... We walk away from focusing on it. It just takes a couple of seconds for us to forget the limitations of money and its ability to give us the best possible kind of life that we can imagine. Money can't buy you a future with only good in it. But trust can give you a future with God in it. And a future with God in it is by definition good. Not easy, not perfect, uh, not the exact version of life that you'd pick if everything always went exactly your way, but good nonetheless. And Jesus says, seek first this kingdom that has been given to you. Seek this life, this future that God wants to give to you. It's really hard to receive when you're wrapped up trying to earn. Right? It's, it's really hard for us to, to embrace what Jesus is talking about when we still think that ultimately the future that we want for ourselves is something that we need to figure out. We need to strategize. We need, we need to figure out how we're going to buy it. A good life can't be bought, it has to be given. And Jesus wants us to hear this morning that no matter what, what kinds of thoughts we have racing through our minds or, or feelings we have coursing through our hearts, the truth is that God wants to grant you a good life. God wants to give you a good life. Why would we trade in a good life for a rich one? Why would we do that? And yet Jesus says the struggle that, that we find ourselves engaged in is a, is a choice that each one of us has to deal with on our own. We have to listen to these words and we have to receive them if they're going to find a home in our hearts. A good life isn't a life that's free from pain. A good life is a life where when we encounter pain, we also encounter God. Not as the cause of that pain, but as a companion with us through it. And, and one of the things I think we know from experience, if, if we've been around church community at all, is that church is at its best when we're able to faithfully represent the presence of God to one another in moments of sorrow and pain. 
I grew up going to church. My dad's a preacher. I watched as both of my grandfathers, in very different ways, ended up losing their lives. And I watched as a church family surrounded me and my parents, as my dad was wrestling uh, with losing his father, and then as my mother wrestled with losing her father, and, and it didn't really happen many years apart. My dad's dad lost his life to cancer. My mom's dad lost his life to suicide. And I watched as the church responded to two very different departures from this earth, right? And, and having to wrestle with how, how can you be there for somebody when their hearts are breaking and they, they don't know how to describe the kind of help they need? How do you, how do you find a way to be there for them? And, and especially with my, my grandfather on my mom's side that, that lost his life to suicide, the difficulty within the church community of do you bring it up? Right? And all of us have faced at various times people who are dealing with grief where the situation surrounding the grief is even more tragic than, than we're used to. It's more difficult than, than we're used to. And so we struggle to know how to talk, how to be there, how to, how to walk alongside of one another. But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, if Jesus is going to promise us that we don't have to worry about what happens in the future because God is going to be with us, I am convinced that he also means that God's people are going to make God present and known. That's not the only way God's presence is experienced in our lives, but it has to be the most reliable place where we can find somebody to hold us up when we're coming apart at the seams. If your life is falling apart, the place you should want to be is this community where you shouldn't have to worry and you shouldn't have to be afraid. And you shouldn't have to pretend like you have all the answers. And you shouldn't have to pretend like you're, you're feeling great and things are going well. This is the place where we come when we don't know where else to go. And we find God here. And so Jesus says to us this morning, I love the way he refers to, to his gathered followers as this little flock, right? He says, don't, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid because your father sees you and your father knows what you're going through and your father is never going to abandon you to have to face the most difficult things you're ever going to have to face all on your own. He's here for you. And what I want to promise you as a member of this church family is we want to find a way to be here for you too. We want to be faithful representatives of a God who's with you in your worst moments. We want to be a living embodiment of the unconditional love of God that we believe is more powerful than any bad thing that could ever happen. Jesus wants us to live with a conviction. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. That, that doesn't matter nearly as much as it matters that God has made this promise to be there with us when it happens. You don't have to be afraid because you don't ever have to be alone. 
We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our, our shepherds and their spouses will be out in our lobby just outside these main exit doors. They're there to pray with you, to be there for you, to represent Christ. So if you came this morning with anything at all that we can help you with as a, as a community, please go to them as together we stand and sing.